This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I will say this about investing. Everything you do learn is cumulative. What I learned at 20 is you G'day, Equity Mates. Welcome back to another episode. Uh, following our journey as we learn to invest, now whether you're an absolute beginner or approaching Warren Buffett status, our aim is to help break down your barriers from beginning to dividend. Now, if you're joining us for the very first time, a massive welcome. Welcome to the Equity Mates community. Welcome to the journey of investing. If you're still getting up to speed, we suggest you go and check out our Get Started Investing podcast to get you all the basics and then come back and join us on this show. Now, while we are licensed, we are not aware of your financial circumstances. So please, any information on this show is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general. But with that said, my name is Bryce. And as always, I'm joined by my equity buddy, Ren. How are you? I'm very good, Bryce. Excited for this episode. We are bringing back a segment we launched earlier this year ask an advisor mm. and we have a, a good friend and a great advisor mm. self-described great advisor <laughs> <laughs> one of the, one of Australia's leading yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes now we know that financial advice is expensive Ren uh, but over 70% of our community in our most recent survey said that they feel like they would benefit from having one so the ask an advisor series is designed to bring the advisors to the equity mates community to you to give you the opportunity to ask your questions and it is a pleasure to welcome to the equity mates studio as we said one of our friends but a, a, a certified financial planner Jacob McCudden. Welcome, Jaco. Thank you, Bryce. Thank you, Ren. Thank you for having me. Pleasure to be here. So Jaco um, works at back-to-back financial planners and uh, is well-versed in all things financial planning. And today we're going to be unpacking some some things that Jaco reckons uh, we get wrong or what are some common misconceptions, bit of a this or that game, and then closing out with community questions. Uh, we'll be looking at how to invest 10000 how to pay off, should we be paying off HEX, plus many more. Now, Jaco, on your website, it says in your little bio description, 
financial planning is not all about managing money. It's really much more than that. It's about uncovering your client's hopes, dreams, and unspoken fears and providing them with valuable guidance, counsel, and support when they need it most. Before we get to the meat of the episode, I want to understand how do you uncover your client's hopes, dreams, and unspoken fears? Uh, Is it like, can you do it for Bryce? Get us, uh, let's figure out what's going on in his head. (laughs) <laughs> All right, we can have it. Yeah, that might be the easiest way to do it. Maybe we just do a test run with Bryce. Okay. Bryce, you've come to see me. You've come in here wanting to talk about money. And I'm going to start the conversation by saying, let's not talk about any of that right now. What's important to you, Bryce? What are you trying to achieve here? What are your objectives? What are you hoping to get out of this? Don't worry about money, but what is the actual end game? Um, the actual end game is having complete control of my time and not having to be not having to wake up knowing that there's a commitment to earn a paycheck. Okay. And why is that important? Uh, Because time is the most valuable commodity we have. Indeed. (laughs) (laughs) Indeed. You're not wrong. You're not wrong. Okay. So it's all about time, getting time back. So having more control, what what does that look like to you? What would that mean? Uh, It genuinely would mean me waking up and being able to dictate my day hour by hour, not having to wake up and know that there's a calendar to go by or anything that has been in my calendar that I don't want to do. Okay. You basically just don't want a job. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm hearing. That's what I'm hearing. <laughs> so where does, it, where does it lead from there then? Like how does that then translate so, into and a financial then, you know, And down the rabbit hole you go because I think, and that kind of leads into what you started with, you know, what is one of the big misconceptions, you know. I think a lot of people come into a financial planner or advisor thinking we're only going to speak about money, that we're some sort of investment guru that you come and see us and everything will be solved tomorrow, which obviously is not the case in any way, shape or form. Uh, and I mean, I like to start the conversation with, you know, let's forget about money because money's the means to an end, right? Money is kind of nothing in its own right. It's what, what's actually important to you about doing that. And of course, investments and building wealth and being smart with your tax and all this other stuff, they're, they're ways to get there. But what are we actually trying to get to? It could be buying our first home. It could be helping our kids through private education or buying their first homes or or being able to take that extra holiday in retirement or, or whatever it is. Because if we just focus on money and wealth and we get a bit too stuck in the weeds, uh, and I mean, that's what a good advisor or a good planner is there to help you do to navigate that. But at the end of the day, it's really important with any kind of planning, not just financial planning, you know, a personal trainer will probably do a very similar thing. They start with, what are you actually trying to get out of this? Is it, I want to lose weight or I want to get fit for a competition or, or whatever it is. So unless we're really clear on that objective up front, it's hard for us to make a plan because the plan is what gets you from A to B, but we need to know what B is to begin with. So I guess that's the biggest misconception when it comes to financial advice and financial planning. Um, and that's probably a good segue into where we want to go uh, to start this episode. For so many of the Equitymates community, uh, myself included, I think Bryce included, we've actually never stepped into a financial planner's office and had that initial meeting and gone through the process. And so I'm sure we all have heaps of misconceptions about what goes on and uh, like how, how it all works. So what are some of the biggest ones you see, the, the biggest misconceptions or 
I guess, uh, what do people get wrong when they approach you or, or another financial planner? Yeah, good, really good question, Ren. I mean, one of the, the big one, the big obvious one is the sort of, you have to have a lot of money to be able to sort of get financial advice. A lot of people sort of think, well, you've got to be wealthy, right, to get a financial planner. Otherwise, what's the point? But of course, that's not the case. You know, we can start with clients who are just starting out with, you know, not much going on in the way of finances, but it's about mapping out that journey over time. Uh, and we often say to clients, you know, if you're looking to sort of get rich quick, I'm not the person to see. But if you're looking to build wealth slowly over your working life, then let's have a chat. Jacob, on that, like a lot of people probably hear you say that and they're like, um, but it is expensive to get a financial advisor. This is, And this is the commercial reality, I suppose, of the industry in, in a perfect dream world, which of course we don't live in. Everybody would get financial advice and everybody would benefit from it. But of course, that's that's not the case. There is a, there is a cost of entry. And I think realistically, a lot of that is obviously driven by regulation and compliance. Mm. Um, but, you know, I, I'd have to say probably your minimum cost of entry point is probably these days somewhere in the realm of two to $3,000, which for most people where they're, where they're starting out, you know, it may not, that just may not be achievable and it, or it may not be economical. Uh, so we do have to be realistic, but sometimes, it, you know, that's generally the cost for a full financial plan, um, which is personal advice, very detailed, very comprehensive. But if that's not, if we're not at that stage and we do have to be realistic that not everybody's at that point, you know, we can still tackle it in other ways. It could just be a general consultation where we're providing more generalised advice, charging you for the hour or two hours or what have you. That might be, you know, three, four, five hundred bucks, something like that. So it's still not nothing, um, but it's a much more palatable cost. But of course, that's not giving you a detailed financial plan. That's more of a general sort of guidance, pointing you in the right direction. These are the kind of, you know, you're on the right track. We need to keep working on this. And in a few years' time, when we're kind of advice ready, we call it, you know, come and see me, and we can start to tackle this. And and part of being advice ready is also mentality. You've got to you've got to want to receive the advice. In that, you know, yeah. we are very much like a, a co-pilot. We're not in the driver's seat. You're in the driver's seat. So if you're thinking we're just going to take the wheel, that's not what we do. We advise you and give you counsel and guidance for you to be able to make informed decisions because it's your money at the end of the day. So just to make it clear, the two or three grand that you're paying for a detailed financial plan is that a one-off and then if i'm with you for 10 years the subsequent nine years it's just the consultation fee yeah and it's a it, good question bryce so it depends some clients it would just be that one-off cost and they might not need an ongoing relationship they might not um, be in a position to be able to afford that or it might just not be appropriate some people are pretty savvy with their money and sometimes just need help solving a specific problem something that's a bit unusual maybe it's a tax issue or there's been some sort of life event like a death or a divorce or a marriage or what have you that they need advice around that moment, um, in which case they, there may be no ongoing costs from the financial advice perspective. You just pay for that as an if and when you need it. Others will benefit and engage with sort of an ongoing retainer sort of service where they're paying an annual fee. Uh, wouldn't necessarily be quite as high as their, their one-off initial cost. It might be sort of 50%, 60% of that, but they pay that ongoing and that's for sort, sort of more the ongoing relationship and the council and keeping the plan on track, so to speak. So clients who want a bit more support along, along the way, they may benefit from an ongoing review service. Clients who just need sort of ad hoc advice for specific things or they're a bit more savvy, they might benefit from just paying for it as they go. So we can kind of cater to any model. And I suppose a key difference with us, although more advice firms are doing this now, but five years ago it was sort of groundbreaking, is that we just charge a fixed fee to our clients. So basically whatever we have to do, if there's a lot of work involved, we're going to obviously charge you more. If it's a little work, yeah. it'll be less. But we don't sort of charge percentage based on assets or things like that. It's not like, 
you have to have a lot of money and then that's how your fees are paid or anything. We don't play that game. We just don't think that's the fairest or most transparent way to do it because a very small percentage cost, which most people don't appreciate, can actually add up to be a very significant cost, not probably yeah, that. Yeah. Whereas we just think, look, the fair approach is it's going to take us X to get the job done. Obviously, there is a profit margin to the business. We are a for-profit business at the end of the day. These are the costs we would have to charge you to make that economical. Um, but nice. also, I believe that firmly puts our interest in line with the client. You know, we make our money from the fees we charge our clients for the services we provide them. So we want to do a good job at that to retain our clients and making sure they're getting ahead and, and seeing the progress they're making. Because, of course, if we're not demonstrating value, what's the point? And I agree with that. If we're not bringing the value, what are we doing? So, Jaco, uh, Bryce, very exciting uh, life moment for him coming up. He and Harriet are looking at buying their first house. Ooh. And I'm sure that is a very common, uh, I guess, client type that uh, you see walk through your doors. So what do people get wrong uh, when they're in Bryce's position looking to buy their first house and how do you steer them? Yeah, look, I mean, probably the first thing I see a lot of is that what we're going to pay for the house, so what our price range is, is driven by what the bank's going to lend us. So, like, let's not forget the bank is in the core business of lending money. That is how they make money. And if there was no government regulation, they'd be giving out loans left, right and centre. So <laughs> often when you're getting knocked back by the bank or they're showing less than you thought, it's not because of them. It's because they have to apply certain prudent obligations to make sure they're lending responsibly, uh, and that falls on the bank, not the borrower. Uh, but even then, you know, there's what the bank will lend, which in my view is perhaps somewhat irrelevant to what is actually affordable and right for you. Um, so it doesn't mean we have to take it right to the limit. It doesn't mean we have to do nowhere near it. It just means it's a factor, but it shouldn't be driving the whole decision. We shouldn't just be going, well, the bank will lend this, so therefore we can buy a property for that. So that's our price range. No, we need to look at our budget and go, well, how does that affect our other goals and objectives? Because the more we borrow the more those repayments are going to be. And then, of course, the less resources we have for other things like investment portfolio or super or whatever it is. I was talking about this last night. It's actually a massive surprise to me. I don't know if surprise is the right word, but it's it was alarming. It's disappointing. It's disappointment, yeah, because yeah, I, I, I found this out when we started the journey of getting pre-approval and those sorts of things. The way in which you're delivered information on what <sighs> your borrowing capacity yeah. is versus the way you delivered information on can you actually afford this is completely different and it's just it's bullshit yeah, and i think like it leads to people seriously over leveraging themselves to the point where like you you can understand why people are getting into trouble with this um, mortgage cliff at the Absolutely. moment but the the conversation is not around let's start with your cash flow and figure out what you can afford to pay. It's let's start with multiplying your combined income by an arbitrary five times (laughs) and telling you that that's how much you can borrow. It's like the difference between what you can borrow and what you can afford to pay is two completely different things. Yeah, and I'm not sure sort of how far in the process you are, but, you know, I'd say from my view, it's, and I've obviously done it myself as well, but it's, it's quite transactional and you don't kind of get all the information to really make a proper decision at the start. You drip fed little bits and pieces. It's buried in some massive contract. 
it's all very uh, opaque. Um, but the problem with that, I suppose, at the end of the day, you know, the bank, that's their business. They're there to, to, to sell loans and to have loans. That's how part of the way they make money. And even with using a mortgage broker, which I fully support, again, they're there to help broker that deal and get you a good deal. But what neither of those parties are doing that a, a financial planner can, can assist you with is more, let's look at the strategy here. What's actually the right kind of amount of debt for us? And do we want to be taking out a 30-year mortgage and taking 30 years to pay it off, does that actually align with what? Because that's what it will be if we just go to the bank. But if we want to be debt-free in 15 years or we want to start building stuff for our kids, you know, our future kids or whatever in 10 years, we need to plan all that out. And that's where comprehensive personal advice is, even if it's two or three grand to get it done, it should be seen as an investment because we're not just planning for the next six months. We're potentially planning for the next five, 10, 30 years around long-term savings in our super, you know, making sure we're going to pay our home loan off in time, be debt-free, all these kind of goals and objectives. So I think having that holistic view and actually strategically planning it through before we do the deal uh, is worth the time because for most people, for many of us, probably everybody on this call, uh, is that it's probably the biggest expense we're ever going to have, the interest on that home loan. So spending you know, a few months or a few hours to put the effort in and get it right can make a massive difference over a 20-year sort of line or whatever. What about uh, once you actually buy the house? Like a lot of chat about buying your first home and maybe we're just not in that world yet, but what about the managing it ongoing uh you know, More offset accounts, mm. surprise costs, all that stuff. What should Bryce be thinking about uh, once he actually holds his with, his what, little paddle up at the auction and, and with, nails the place? Yeah, yeah. what is it called? Drawdowns or withdraw? Um, I don't know. Ask Jacob. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the other, okay, so a couple of things, I suppose. The, the, the first thing is um, buying and selling homes, apart from the first home, even though that said, it's still a cost. It's expensive business, right? You've got conveyancing costs. You've got potentially agent costs. You've got stamp duty being a massive one for most people after they probably exhausted the first home concession. So you don't want to be chopping and changing homes probably any more recently than any more frequently than say five years because there's a lot of costs involved in those transactions. So if you're not, if your heart's not fully in it and you're not fully sold on that property, don't buy it. You know, don't rush into that massive decision unless you are fully sure that, that you could see yourself living here for at least kind of five years minimum in my view. Now, that might change. Life happens and things might have to change. But if we go into, go into it with that idea, that's probably going to hold us in better stead than rushing in and, and just oh, feeling the pressure of the auction. Oh, okay, I'll put in another bid. We don't want to be pushed into a big decision like that. Once we're in and once we've got the loan all sorted and so on, something I see, I suppose, is you can get, I guess, just your no-frills basic loans and they'll typically have the cheapest interest rate, but they don't have any of those bells and whistles like the offset accounts and sometimes not even redraw and all the rest of it. For most people, though, that's probably fine. I mean, offsets are a great tool, but if we're not really going to be using them, we're probably going to be paying a premium because often those additional features like offset accounts and the ability to redraw and so on Whilst sometimes they'll charge an annual fee for them, often it's more reflected in a slightly higher interest rate. And it might only be 10 basis points, 15 basis points. So the average Joe, yeah, well, doesn't seem like much. But again, that sort of margin over a potentially a 30-year mortgage could literally be tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars over the life of the full loan. People really struggle wrapping their head around just the exponential nature of compound interest uh, and when you're on the receiving end of that, when, you, when you've borrowed money, it can be a significant cost. So it's all well and good to have those offsets and so on, and they're a good tool to help manage loans and, and so on. But 
we've got to be thinking ahead and going, are we actually going to need this stuff? Are we really going to use it? Because we can always refinance down the track and get them later. So what about superannuation, particularly for people our age? What's something that we we get wrong or a common misconception? Look, I think for a lot of people, I'm, I'm always quite surprised when particularly younger clients come in and they just have literally no idea zero and now that's not their fault like to be fair to them it's barely spoken about in school if at all i mean a lot of people come out of out of high school and you know they they've got a tax file number but have no idea about taxes they don't understand super most of them if they're going into uni also don't understand hex and so on or help debt and how that's going to work they think it's just oh i can enroll in whatever and it doesn't cost me anything but all of these things obviously have a cost um so coming back to super it, just a complete lack of understanding. It's a bit of a black hole, like money goes in, I don't even pay attention to it. But the thing is, as we know, with long-term investing, the sooner we do something about it, even if it's just minor improvements, very small improvements, over that long term can be massive differences. So things... Such as what? So, you know, just being in a bad fund. You know, I've just been in the fund that my employer put me in for the last 10 years and never looked at it. I mean, half of the time we can immediately get a better an improved result for the client in lower fees and better uh, returns by just moving to what I would say is a fairly average or standard fund, but they're just in some crappy old fund that some employers set up and they've just never thought about it. Um, but you ask them, you know, if you had 10000 20, 50000 in a bank account, you'd be paying attention to it. You've probably got that amount, if not more, in your super fund and you don't even look at it. Um, What's one of your favourite super funds? Uh, I won't get that specific, <laughs> but I mean, there's, there's a lot. There's a lot of good ones. Out there. There's a lot. There is a lot of good ones out there, and you'd know them all. You would have seen them. You would have heard of them. You would know them. But that said, there's also right. a lot of duds. Like, yeah, what are some duds? Uh, well, name and more, show. More recently, the well, the government's done this. They're now making the mandatory, like, do mandatory reporting on their returns and things. And the low performing funds have to identify themselves to the client, i.e., the member. Send them a letter saying. We've been identified as a crap fund, so you know. <laughs> um, and clearly, you know, the member's probably going to take that and go, I need to do something about this. Uh, and that was in response to the government recognising that members were fairly apathetic about it. But if the fund had to tell them you are in a bad fund by the government's own fairly generous definition, they're probably more likely to get out of that fund. Um, and we're seeing a lot of fund consolidation, um, which I don't mind. So I don't want, you know, we don't want an industry where it's just two or three massive funds but, you know, 10 or 15, that's fine. The 50 or 60 we've got, it's too many. And as you guys would know, a lot of these big funds, they take really big positions and big projects for long time periods. They need scale. And if you don't have scale, if you're a tiny little fund with a few hundred million, it's not enough to effectively manage that money. Whereas we're in a fund with billions of dollars with solid inflows and all the rest of it, you can get access to investment options and, and, and uh, things that those other smaller funds can't. And your members will be rewarded for that. So there is definitely a shared benefit for everybody in the fund to be in a larger fund, generally speaking. Well, Jaco, uh, we've got a little bit of a game, this or that. And then on the other side of the break, we want to get to some questions from the community, including one uh, around paying off your hex and should you be paying it off faster, which I know is front of mind for a lot of people with mm. uh, indexation at the moment. But let's get to this game called this or that. Quick fire, we're going to give you two options. You choose which one uh, you prefer. Okay. Give us a quick reason why. Or don't, up to you. No fence sitting. Okay, all right. Oh, wow. <laughs> okay. <laughs> all right, all right. So we'll start with uh, what is obviously a big question for a lot of young people who are thinking about uh, the money they're saved and how they want to deploy it. Property or shares? For investment purposes? Yeah. 
shares. Well, not certainly not for living purposes yeah. because shares are terrible <laughs> accommodation. For what? No, but yeah, no, no, <laughs> definitely shares, 100% shares. Oh, really? Okay. Nice. That was more strident than I expected. Why? why? Uh, so in my mind, I'm thinking investment property is the alternative. I yeah. don't like them for a lot of reasons. One, you know, that common perception properties always go up. Obviously, they do not. Uh, two, we're obviously we're normally over leveraged because just of the nature of the property value, we have to borrow so much to get it. And it's just no diversification. You know, it's one property in one city, in, in one suburb, on one street. Um, and if one little thing changes, that's totally out of our control. That could be the end game. You know, government wants to build a nuclear power plant, the suburb over, that could be the end of that property's value. So I don't like them for that reason, whereas shares, and not specifically direct shares, but equities perhaps is a better uh, word, you know, highly diversified, easily, low cost, easily managed, don't even have to think about it, no issues with tenants leaving, and just high diversification, instant diversification over thousands of, potentially thousands of companies and bite-sized chunks. I don't think I've any, met anyone who loves a Vanguard product more than Jayco. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know. I, Simon outside it's might give him a run true. for his Simon running money. Simon loves Vanguard yeah. as well. All right, next one. This, I mean, keep, we don't need to keep it simple. <laughs> this or that, pay off debt or invest the money? Depends what kind of debt it is. If it's consumption debt, if it's, we're talking credit cards and personal loans, definitely debt. If it's investment debt, then go the other way. Invest, potentially even borrow more. <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice. All right. Uh, invest in super or outside of super? <laughs> Depends on your time frame, I suppose. But if time frame is <laughs> okay, let's say at, let's say at our age. At our age. Again, depends on your time frame. If it's if it's a if it's a long term investment, if the the investment term aligns with the super access term, i.e., I'm not going to need it until I'm at least sixty, then 100% super. You will not get a better tax deal in this country. Nothing your accountant could construct in the Cayman Islands that would beat superannuation. But of course, we can't get that money back. So if access and liquidity is more important outside of super, and we just pay more tax on it. But if we know that we're not going to need that for 30 years or 20 years or 10 years or whatever, 100% super. On that point, so right now you can start to access your super when you're 60 and then like the full uh, preservation age or access age or whatever is 65. Yeah. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but like that that's gone up over time. And when you're advising clients who are in their 20s and 30s, like – the, no, no one thinks it's going to stay there, or at least I certainly don't. What What do you guys like? What would you tell someone who's sort of thirty and, you know, you're, you're saying now you don't if you don't want to access it until you're sixty, but like what what will that be when we're yeah, old? good question. So at the moment, for simplicity, it's basically sixty at the earliest if you've retired. Or 65, doesn't matter if you're still working or not. But already the age pension age is, is pretty much 67. It's currently it's still in its transition window, but it will be 67 very soon. So I think it's a bit of a no-brainer that that 65 will very soon in time become 67 because it typically used to match the 65. So the age pension one's gone up, but the super one hasn't. So I think they'll just notch that to 67. By the time we get to that age, if I was a betting man, I'd say there's a very good chance it'd be more like 70. Um, because, of course, we're working longer and all the rest of it. So, And, of course, the government's only giving you all these massive tax breaks because they're trying to incentivise you to save for retirement, hence why they're so restrictive on the rules that if we're going to give you all these tax deals, you ain't getting that money back until retire or until they do something silly like let people whip money out for nothing. But we probably won't see that again. (laughs) Nice. Not with the pandemic, but anyhow. (laughs) And, Jaco, final one, bombers or swans? Oh, is there a third option? 
Uh, if I had to, if I had to pick one, I'm going to say Swans just because I'm New South Wales, and also I'll pick any non-Victorian club over Victorian club. <laughs> you live in the nice. ACT. <laughs> Jump on the bandwagon, Jaco. <laughs> yeah, Jaco lives in the ACT but supports Brisbane. Who I'm going to see on Saturday. Who are playing here against GWS. Woo-hoo. Oh, nice. True. Nice. Great. After the break, we've got a couple of questions from the Equity Mates community. As Renz has alluded to, um, a lot of them around HEX and how to invest sort of $10,000 just to get your thoughts. So we're going to get stuck into that straight after this break. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, Jacob. So we encourage the Equity Mates community to send in questions as part of the as part of the Ask an Advisor series. As as we said at the top, advice is expensive. We're bringing the advisors straight to the community. So to to kick it off, first question: How would you think about investing a just a ten thousand dollar chunk of money? Okay, um, and of course, everything I'm discussing is totally general. Uh, so not it's not personal advice in any way, shape, or form. Probably need a bit more information than that, but just straight off the top of my head. If it was just 10000 for something longer term and I didn't want to be actively involved with it at all, I would be going a broad-based, probably depending on the investment term, likely higher growth index fund. Generally through an ETF would be the simplest way to access it. And I guess the follow-up to that would be all at once or how would you advise... Yeah, like lump sum, dollar cost averaging. Sometimes we talk about dollar cost averaging. Um, I think the the jury's out on that, to be honest, if we look at the actual data uh, as to whether that's successful or not. If I had a lump sum, um, if markets were particularly volatile at the time, maybe I'd break it down a little bit. But in that example, I'd be more inclined to get the 10,000 invested straight away and then I'd be sticking to some sort of, if we can, regular investment thing, maybe 100 bucks a month or whatever to keep that going. That's your ongoing dollar cost averaging. So, Jaco, one that we've alluded to before and is certainly top of mind for a lot of people, it's actually really front of mind and it kind of pisses me off a lot because somehow Bryce has managed to pay his hex off <laughs> before me and I still have hex debt. And so when I look at our zero, uh, he's actually taking home more pay than me, even though we, <laughs> so get, we have the same salary. <laughs> it's, it grinds my gears. So I guess the question for me, uh, you know, indexation, I'm not sure what it got indexed at, but because inflation is high, um, mm-hmm. the, it, it, the, everyone's hex debt rose a fair bit or more than it has over the previous few years. Is that a reason to pay our hex debt off faster or what's the strategy and the thinking around hex? Um, In my view, no, not at all. Um, I might have a bit of a rogue view on this perhaps, but the indexation doesn't bother me at all. Um, 
I don't think there's, in my view, unless you've got money coming out of your ears, there is no benefit in repaying that loan sooner. And if there's, you've got other commitments that should come first, they should all take priority over the hex debt. Reason being, there is no interest, right? It's an interest-free loan from the government. So you can't do better than that. People get hung up on this indexation, but as perhaps you guys would understand, and I'm sure many of your listeners would, that it's nothing. If inflation is 2% and my loan's being indexed at 2%, it's exactly the same. So if, and I put that another way, if my investment is returning 6%, but inflation is at 3 my investment is only returning 3 So we, we worked that out as what we call the real cost. So you take off the indexation away from it. So the other benefit with HEX, of course, is there's no mandatory repayments other than your income. So if you're on hard times and you've lost your job and whatever, those HEX repayments will stop. They're not going to come out. Um, and they only get higher and higher as your income gets higher, which I guess when you think about it from a more kind of way, way off left field here, but from a bigger societal view, these loans are extended to help people get education, to get jobs and become productive members of society and can contribute, and only if they're generating that income will they be asked to repay the loan. I think that's fair enough. Um, I mean, ideally, it could, you know, one could argue it should be free as a total investment better system because if you said, all right, well, let's sack HEX, if there's still going to be loans, it'll go totally private and we'll be ending up in a US-type scenario where you're dealing with a commercial lender. You're making repayments whether you've got income or not and you're paying an actual interest rate on that loan, uh, which will be higher than the true cost of money by inflation. Now, people are getting hung up because inflation's obviously been a bit quite high recently, so the indexation is going to be a lot higher than normal. But that's not going to happen all the time. You know, you look back at what it was and one could make the argument that, sure, it's going to go up quite a bit now, but go back to COVID times, it probably didn't go up by much at all, if, if any, because inflation was nothing. We're in slight deflation for a bit there. So... I mean, it goes both ways. But no, I don't think, unless that's the only thing left, only debt left, and we've covered everything else, that's only when I'm looking at making extra X repayments. I assume the one exception would be if the money that you would take to pay off your hex debt, you're just blowing on nights out and stuff like oh, that. Um, yeah, yeah, that's totally different. The, yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the, assumption, the assumption is that money is going to pay down other debt or being invested. Yeah, or, correct. Yeah, exactly yeah, yeah. right, Randy. Yeah. Exactly right. Yeah, yeah nice. Mm-hmm. Well, then um, I should probably stop going out on nights out and pay off my hex debt. <laughs> or, or how about this? Equity mates just pay you nothing and then you won't have to make any extra payments. <laughs> Don't give Bryce any ideas. Yeah, I just reduced, yeah, reduced the salary. Yeah. Hold on. <laughs> this is why you need a financial advisor. <laughs> All right, Jaco. So we've got another uh, the final one that's come in from the community. What are some of the consistent strategies that you see some of your longer-term wealthier clients put in place? Look, the things that I'd say like our the clients who are doing well, who are doing you know the best sort of outcomes are ones who do who get the, sim- the simple stuff right. They get the basics right. They've got a budget, um, and they're not they're not big spenders. They're not they're not out there just wasting money. They they know money has a value. They've worked hard for their money, so they're smart with it. Uh, and they consciously choose to sort of forgo things today to put money aside for the future. That's the first, if you can't do that, there's very little we can do. Mm. Um, but once you get to that point, once you've got those good savings habits and you're starting to go, okay, I'm building up the savings, now what can I do? That's the next part. They're always looking to do something else. They don't just rest on their laurels and go, oh, we'll just pay off the mortgage, just put it all into the mortgage nice and simple. Maybe that's the best thing, maybe it's not. But they're open to going, well, should we consider investing? Should we consider maybe even borrowing more money, which sometimes sounds counterintuitive? Should we consider doing a bit of super, extra into super or perhaps some combination of all of the above? Yeah. So they never just sit back and go, happy with that. 
They are always looking for the next sort of strategy or way to keep improving their position over time. And then probably lastly, they're realistic. They know it ain't going to happen in a year or two years or honestly even five. It's going to take 10, 20, 30 years. But they have faith in the plan and the strategy. And if they stick to this, they just can rest easy and know that once I get to retirement or whatever the goal is, if I stick to this plan, it's going to get me to where I need to go. Mm. So then I don't have to sweat the small stuff. One, one thing you mentioned there, Jaco, uh, at the start of that answer was they have a budget. I'm interested to know how you think about budgets, how you advise your clients on budgets. Do you have like a preferred method that you try and get all of your clients to do? Or what's, if someone comes in and they just have no grasp on their spending and stuff like that, what's, yeah, how do you approach it? Yeah, good question. Do we have a sort of way that we do it? No. And I think the issue with that is when you try and force a set way on people, you know, they're not going to stick to it, they're not going to follow it, and the whole thing doesn't eventuate anyway. So what was the point? You've got to find the way that works for them. And for some clients, that's the old, you know, getting out the Excel spreadsheet. They're really detailed. They're tracking everything down to the cent. And to be honest, I'm one of those kind of people. Um, but that's me. That's what works for me, right? Whereas others, they kind of do the complete opposite and they just work it back. We go, okay, well, we, you know, you, you hear them say, pay yourself first. So it's like, well, we put you on a budget. Here's your 200 bucks, 300 bucks a week each or whatever it is. Spend that on whatever you want. I don't care. Knock yourself out. But that's all you're getting because all this other stuff, you know, that's our mortgage, that's our saving, that's our regular savings plan, that's a bit of extra salary sacrifice for super or whatever. So you make them kind of just work around the, the fixed points, if that makes sense. Whereas if you try and get those kind of clients to create them, it doesn't really happen because any extra cash just gets spent. But if you sort of cut them back and go, right, it's like you got a pay cut, you just got to live with this, they can start to find a, a way forward. So you've got to be flexible and you've got to just be able to, you know, learn your client and understand them and ask them how they manage money and all this sort of stuff and then make a view on well, what do I think is probably the best way to get them to do it and that might change over time um, but at the end of the day you've got to have some sort of system mm. uh, something I, I believe and I mean technology is so good these days a lot of the time you can get the it's built into your net bank app and so on mm. so it's tracking your expenditure mm. and that's don't, least, don't get me started on Combank's uh, spend no, tracking not that one Final question was, is there a moment or a strategy that you look back on and you're like, wow, that, that was amazing or that really surprised me? Ooh. Yeah, it's probably been a few of those. Um, I'm trying to think of like what would be a good one. Um, I mean, like I'm in Canberra, so we've had a lot of clients who have been sort of related to the public service and had some of those older um, superannuation schemes that are not available anymore. Um, I've been pretty surprised sometimes with the outcome of those yeah. in terms of how simple changes to effectively a formula can result in a huge difference in someone's retirement benefit. Uh, they've been particularly surprising. But others, I think, are probably just the change in clients. Like I've definitely had some clients where I, at the start I'm thinking, I don't know if I can get these guys across the line. I know where they want to go, but I just don't think they're going to be able to get with the program. Um and then, you know, a couple of years go by and then three or four years go by and go, actually, geez, wow, they're starting to get it now. So it, some clients get it straight away, others take a few years. But when you start to see those kind of people, you know, um, saying back to you the sort of values and ideas you've been telling them the whole time, and it's almost a bit like by in the later stages there, you know, you, you say to them, oh, you remember why we're doing this? And they'll explain back to you exactly why they were doing it. You know, that because we've got the tax deduction and X, Y, and Z, you, it feels quite fulfilling that you go, okay, 
you guys are getting it now because that's it. You know, we're not there to just do it for you. We're here to help you understand and empower you. And in five years, you know as much about it as I do. My job is done. Yeah. Love it. Well, Jaco, if anyone listening from the Equity Mates community wants to touch base with you and perhaps use your services, what's the best place for them to go? Yeah, thanks, Bryce. Probably the easiest place would just be our website, which, you know, just Google back-to-back financial planners or the website's just backtobackfp.com.au. You'll see on there a bit of information about us, everything you need to know, our bios and so on that Bryce read out earlier. (laughs) Uh, And if you'd like to get in touch, obviously our contact details are out there. You can just drop an inquiry on the website. Uh, and we can take it from there. And to my eternal disappointment, there is no photo of Jayco on the website back to back with another advisor. <laughs> <laughs> True. But I will keep missed, lobbying for that to get up branding there. Yeah. <laughs> I've, got, I've, got, I've got to say, such a photo exists, but it is not on the website. <laughs> <laughs> Epic. Now, Jayco, uh, each each year we run um, uh, the Equity Mates Media Awards, and p- one of the awards is Expert of the Year, and uh, you are automatically in the running by appearing on the show as part of awesome. our expert interviews. Now, uh, it's uh, vo- it's voted for by the community at the end of the year, but to help them understand a little bit more about you, we w- would love to know if you were to win the glass trophy, beautiful glass trophy, where would you be putting it? Uh, I'd probably have to put another shelf up or something in here. <laughs> what, with all I'm your other awards? Right back there so it's visible anytime I'm doing a video call. Perfect. Nice. Perfect. Right under the certification. <laughs> Love exactly. it, Jaco. Well, thank you so much for your time. Um, Pleasure. Really appreciate you taking it. And I know that, um, you know, the community would have got a lot out of that. We covered a lot of ground. Make sure you check out the website if you would like to know more about uh, the services Jaco and his um, his organization provide. But um, yeah, we really appreciate it. Thank you very much. No worries, Bryce, Ren. Thank you guys so much. Pleasure to be here. And just a reminder, if you can please rate and review, uh, leave five stars, that would be really appreciated. It's a tiny thing that you can do for us, but it does have a huge impact. Coming up this week, we have the IG Psychology of Money series closing out with the third episode tomorrow. But Alec will be doing the second episode with his mentor, Andrew Page, on Monday. And we're off to the US. Can't wait. You have been listening to an Equitymates Media production. In the spirit of reconciliation, Equitymates Media acknowledges the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples today. This podcast is intended for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general advice only and has not taken into account your personal financial circumstances, needs or objectives. Before acting on general advice, you should consider if it is relevant to your needs and read the relevant product disclosure statement. And if you're unsure, please speak to a financial professional. The hosts of this podcast and their guests may have positions in the companies mentioned. Equitymates Media operates under an Australian Financial Services Licence 540697. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.